Welcome to the latest podcast from Greyfriars Church in Reading. Our vision is to see Reading transformed by the love and power of Jesus. You can find out more on our website, greyfriars.org.uk. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Um, oh, that was nice. Um, my name is Sam, uh, and until very recently, I worked here at Greyfriars as the student pastor, uh, but I've just started a new job with a Christian charity in London. Um, uh, I really love Jesus, um, and I'm in my 10th year of following him. I became a Christian when I was 15 uh, in my youth workers' front room uh, and decided to be a Christian and follow Jesus. I'm in my 10th year, um, and it's, it's the just the best thing I've ever done by a long way. And um, I, I, it's really, I, in some senses, tonight's quite simple. Because uh, when I think about when I come and speak to you all like this, what do I want to say? Uh, really, it's just that I want to come and preach the gospel of, of Jesus. Um, and if you got to pick a passage to do that from, you, you, you'd probably pick this one first, <laughs> which, is, which is great. But um, I want to start by confessing something to you all, which is that um, I actually dislike it when uh, preachers or writers or Christian figures refer to something as a famous verse. Um, because who is it famous to? Is it famous to you or to your, to your pals or to everyone with the same level of knowledge or theological education as you? Because um, when I, I, I stand up here to speak, I don't want to exclude anyone. So I don't want to say this is a famous passage and then for you to be sat there thinking, well, I don't know it. That's why it makes me a little bit uneasy um, to to call something a famous passage. But if we're going to call anything a famous passage, I think it's probably this. Um, Can we go to the next slide, please, Sarah? Thank you. Anyone know who that is? I'd be really impressed if anyone knows who that is. That is Tim Tebow. That's like, yeah, okay. That, I did not think you'd know that, Melissa. I'm sorry. Um, but Tim Tebow uh, was an American football player. Um, and uh, this is a really good example of the cultural um, uh, kind of proliferation of John 3.16. So he's got his, uh, his eye black there and he's put the verse on his eye black. When I, I mentioned I became a Christian when I was 15. Um, and around the time that I was becoming a Christian and finding my faith and, and finding acceptance in that, Tim Tebow was, was blowing up the NFL. Uh, and um, I saw him play with this on his eye black and on his um, shoes and all that. And that gave me such confidence. It, an incredible amount of confidence to stand firm in my belief. Because if this guy could, could be um, a faithful Christian, I felt like I could be as well. And you might have seen John 3.16 in other places as well. Maybe not so much in this country, but if you've been to somewhere like America, maybe it will have been on billboards at the side of the road. Um, uh, or, uh, you know, I, I scribbled it on my pencil case in year 11 because um, I was a popular child. Uh, and and um, the reason why I think we could describe this as the famous verse um, is because that in this whole book, its message seems to arrive at its climactic reveal in these words that God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish 
but inherit eternal life. Now, I could get down now and we could leave it there for tonight because that would be a perfectly fine message to leave you all with. Um, but I think you'd probably justifiably feel quite shortchanged. Um, and as I prepared for tonight, I thought about how the verse that we might know and we might call the famous verse uh, could actually be better understood and we would understand what it means to receive the gift of Jesus if we look at the story around it. We're continuing through our series on, on generosity and my title for tonight was The Gift of Jesus, which I thought made it sound like uh, the kind of sermon you would have heard when you were a kid on Christmas morning and you'd just unwrapped a new PlayStation or a shiny new bike and then some preacher tries to tell you that Jesus is the best gift you'll ever receive. Um, uh, but I, I thought we'd look at the, the, the entire passage. So I'm going to invite John back and... If you, grab one of these in front of you, please, um, because I want you to track through it with us. Uh, so John chapter 3, we're going to read the first 21 verses of that uh, on page 1065. Thank you, John. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God, one and only Son. This is the verdict, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of the light because of their deeds were evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly and that what he has done has been done through God. Thanks be to God. Thank you very much, John. Can we go to the next slide, please, Sarah? So this is where we find ourselves. It's a meeting between Jesus and a man called Nicodemus. This, incidentally, if you've seen The Chosen, you will recognize as a still from that series. Uh, and I was toying with the idea of showing the clip uh, in this sermon, but I wanted to show all of it, which was like seven minutes long, and I thought I probably couldn't do that. So if you want to see it, I, and I'd really encourage you to do so, it communicates so much about Jesus' humor and other things that don't necessarily come across when we read, um, when we read it off the page. Uh, it is fabulous if you just search Jesus and Nicodemus into YouTube, you'll, you'll find it. So we need to understand what's going on, who's Nicodemus, and what these words mean in the context of the story when Jesus says them to him. So we can go to the next slide. Here's what we know about Nicodemus. He's a religious leader. So he um, would have been a Pharisee, would have been a teacher of the religious law. He would have sat on a, on a body called the Sanhedrin. Um, and as such, that gives him real public status. It gives him influence. Um, and he is bricking it to be meeting Jesus. They're meeting uh, under the, the, the cover of darkness. It's, it's um, impossible that this meeting could have happened during the day. It would have been way too dangerous for Nicodemus to meet Jesus during the day for what his, his fellow members of the Sanhedrin would have said and done to him as he met with this, this person that they thought was a blasphemer. Because what they know is that all of the, the, the Sanhedrin, the rest of the religious leaders and Nicodemus know is that Jesus is indicating that he is the person who has come to save the Jewish people as promised in the Holy Scriptures, what we would now call the Old Testament in the front of our Bibles. And the rest of his, his mates on the Sanhedrin, the rest of the Pharisees, the rest of the religious leaders are, are all pretty sure what they think about Jesus. They all think he's a, a fraud, but a dangerous fraud. But Nicodemus is a little bit more curious. What if... This guy is who he says he is. So he arranges to meet Jesus at night. Uh, yeah, the, the risk of reprisals if he'd met him during the day and people had known about this would have been too severe. So all we need to know is this meeting at this table should not be happening. But it is. And Nicodemus is about to go on a journey of realisation Nicodemus peppers Jesus with questions and Jesus answers them and we can infer from uh, the later references to Nicodemus in John's gospel he pops up a couple more times the more you read on that Nicodemus does choose to believe that Jesus is who he says he was and this for Nicodemus is a really costly decision in choosing to believe Jesus is really the Son of God, he jeopardizes his friends, he jeopardizes his family, his job, his home, his possessions, his entire way of life. And he makes himself an outcast among his peers. But why? Next slide, please. 
because this is who he's dealing with. On the other side of the table, as he listens to Jesus and he looks at Jesus and he hears his responses to some of the questions that he has, something clicks. And Nicodemus makes the connection and sees how Jesus has been given to us by God the Father in what is the act of ultimate generosity. It's an extraordinary gift to Nicodemus, but it's an extraordinary gift to us too. But as we read the story that we, we, we find this famous verse, that whoever believes in, in, in Jesus will not perish but receive an eternal life, we know that it carried a cost for Nicodemus and therefore it follows that it's going to carry some kind of cost for us as well. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before. What's been the cost of following Jesus in your life? And it's possible that if you have the same reaction as Nicodemus and you choose to accept the gift of Jesus in your life or, or you've already accepted the gift of Jesus in your life, that it doesn't mean that you necessarily jeopardized your family, your friends, your house, your possessions, and your entire way of life in the way that Nicodemus did. But I do want to say at this point that for some of you, it might. I, I, I mean, I can look in, into the room and I can see some people that I know who've made a decision to follow Jesus and that has affected the way that your friends see you. It's affected the way that your parents see you. I, I come from a Christian home. I can't even begin to pretend to imagine to know what that's like. And so I have an incredible, incredible amount of respect for you who, who choose to follow Jesus when, when the cost looks something like that. But I think that the, the thing that we can understand is, is the cost for all of us, whether or not that's, that's happened, that it, maybe it's cost us some of those things, that maybe it cost Nicodemus. The cost for all of us to follow Jesus is that it costs us our old life. The life that we have before we make that decision to follow Jesus, the life that I had before I chose to follow Jesus at the age of 15 in my youth workers' front, uh, front room. As we receive that gift that brings us eternal life, we lose our old perspective on the world. We leave habits and we leave attitudes that fall short of God's holiness behind and we fix our eyes on him instead. Because the stuff that we do wrong, the stuff that gets in the way, our sin, the stuff that gets in the way of us and the Father is wiped out as Jesus ascends the hill with the cross on his back and the crown of thorns on his head. Wipes it away and enables us to live in relationship with God the Father. And so our relationship with the material world, not that the material world is necessarily of itself bad, changes as we journey deeper into relationship with Jesus. I want to at this point just say, if maybe you're, you've been following Jesus for a little while, or you wouldn't even call yourself a Christian, it's okay if this all seems really scary. Because um, some of us, while we might have been Christians for a while, and we might be comfortable with the idea, 
there was a time that we had to make this decision as well. And we looked at the life that we had and we thought, wait, this isn't my old life, this is my current life. I don't know what the new life looks like. And that is scary to have to wrestle with that. But for the person who believes that Jesus was the Son of God, died on a cross in our place, and rose from the dead, there is assurance we have entered into a new form of life. Um, I really love the, the message translation of the Bible. Some of you may know it. And there's a passage in that from Colossians, uh, which is a book a little, a, a little bit after John, uh, from chapter 3, verse 3. And in the message translation, it says this, your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. I, I think that's just magnificent how that has been translated into a way that we can read here now and gain a taste of what it means to live in new life. And I want to talk a little bit about that new life. And then I'm going to give us a chance to respond. This new life does mean that you are broken free from the chains of sin. It's the sin that has separated us from the Heavenly Father. But what the new life does not mean is that we become legalistic, holier-than-thou kind of people. It just releases us into life as it was always supposed to be. And you know what? Nicodemus, who we read about in, in the passage, is a great example of this. Nicodemus, as a religious leader, as a Pharisee, as a member of the Sanhedrin, is almost the definition of legalism and the holier-than-thou attitude. But he sits at that table and he looks into the eyes of Jesus and he hears what he says and he thinks, yes. Yes, I see. I see that the new life with you isn't like the old life that I've been living. And while the new life might cost me influence and status and all these other things that I really like, oh my gosh, the new life is so much better. And this new life will straddle the time that we spend here on earth after we say yes to Jesus. And then eternity that we spend with our heavenly father. This is the promise Jesus makes us in John 3.16 in the famous verse. I just want to say to you all that he is real. He is who he said he was. And he is a gift presented to you so that you may find new life. And the cost is and has been your old life. The gift is, is new life far greater, far more fulfilling, far more purposeful than the old life. And, and I think nowhere do you see this more beautifully than people who are maybe kind of really early in their journey of following Jesus. And I, I just, I love being around them. People who are maybe like less, less than a year into calling themselves a Christian. And, and you kind of see in, the, in this person, if, if you know them well, and maybe if you knew them beforehand as well, you see something of the transformation about how they lived before. 
and how they saw the world before and their relationship with the world before. And, and now they've met Jesus and they've said yes to him and following him. And, and you see how differently they see everything. Because they're living in that new life. They're dead to their old life. It's Colossians 3 in the message. They have a new life and it's the real life and it's with Christ in God. And so I, I don't want to take up any more time because all that matters is we, we respond to this message. You might have said yes to Jesus a long time ago and you're thinking, well, I don't really see what this has for me uh, because I, I've been a Christian and yeah, I know that I've died to my old life and I'm living in my new life, but actually, do you know what? There's still challenges in the new life. And yeah, absolutely. There are challenges that we still find in, the, in, in our new life. We are, we are weak in our, in our flesh. We, we, we find ourselves doing things that we don't understand why we're doing them. Things that we know fall short of the, of the glory of God. And it can be really confusing. It's not like we, when the moment we say yes to Jesus, everything is solved and that's it until we die and we go to live with Jesus in heaven. But I just want to impress upon you again an understanding of what that gift is. The, the gift of Jesus, the gift of new life. Because it, it, it creates such joy within me. And other people will come up on this stage in future weeks and talk more about the challenges that we face in, in, in this new life and, and how, we can, how we can deal with them. But I just want to remind you of it tonight. And that as we, we sing these songs, we recognize that we're worshiping a God who has been more generous than we could ever imagine. So this is it. Do you believe Jesus? Whether you first received the gift years and years ago, or you've received the gift recently or never have, I invite you to make your decision to choose whether to believe Jesus and just as Nicodemus did, accept the gift, accept him and find new life. I'd really love to pray. Um, we can stay seated for this and band, do you want to come back up and, and, and get ready? Well, I want to leave some silence. So please, please stay seated. And I want to leave this up on the screen for a little bit as well. Because it's a really simple question. So I think we should pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you came to give us new life. Thank you that we've experienced transformation in our own lives whether we first saw that transformation years and years and years ago or we did recently or maybe we, we, we haven't yet I just thank you Holy Father I thank you for this act of generosity for this gift and Lord I just pray now for, for all of us here as we look at that question and we just stare at it for a little bit in silence what is our answer do we accept you
Amen.